Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. What do Woodrow Wilson, Herbert Hoover... Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, George H.W. Bush, and George W. Bush have in common, Mr. Producer. All, exactly, all six presidents used the Insurrection Act or the federalization of the National Guard. Woodrow Wilson did it because race riots began to break out. Starting in Chicago, but 20 cities. Sound familiar? Herbert Hoover called in the active duty military because of the World War I vets who had marched on Washington demanding their bonus payments that they'd been promised. Harry Truman used it because of striking railroad workers. And so he used the military to put down the strikes. Dwight Eisenhower used it to defend the Little Rock Nine and to back up the National Guard in order to compel integration. Bush 41 used it to put down L.A. riots as a result of a jury verdict in the Rodney King matter in 1992. Bush 43 used it to put active duty military personnel at our airports, among other places, after 9-11. Now, the media wants you to believe that if the President of the United States uses the Insurrection Act to protect American cities, to back up local law enforcement, to save neighborhoods, to prevent further brutality and murder, that he's a dictator. How many newsrooms and hosts and reporters, ladies and gentlemen, just told you what I told you? That six presidents of the United States in the last hundred years or so have triggered the Insurrection Act and or federalized the National Guard. None have told you this, to the best of my knowledge. Not one. None. Why is that? You know why that is. We need to have a chat about Black Lives Matter, too, and their surrogates in the athletic world, in the Hollywood world, in the media world, and other parts of the world. Black Lives Matter doesn't stand for all black lives. 
It doesn't stand for all black lives. Apparently it only stands for certain black lives. As pointed out at Breitbart, at least four black American men and one biracial woman have been killed in riots in the last week. Starting May 28 in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You have Dave Patrick Underwood, who was murdered on May 29th. He was a federal security guard, murdered in cold blood. You have David Dorn, 77-year-old retired St. Louis, Missouri police captain, was murdered by looters who broke into a pawn shop of his friend. You have Italia Marie Kelly, May 31, 22 years old, biracial, was killed in a random shooting by so-called peaceful protesters in Davenport, Iowa. David McAtee, on June 1st, 53 years old, shot and killed in Louisville, Kentucky, during the riots. He'd been clearing out a crowd in the area when they heard gunshots and returned fire. And you see, he was hit by one of the bullets. It's under investigation. On May 30th, Chris Beatty, a 38-year-old real estate broker, former Indiana University football player, shot and killed by rioters in Indianapolis who were on a robbing spree. Joe Biden hasn't once talked about any of them. Joe Biden and his campaign are touting the fact that they will be attending George Floyd's funeral. Have they sought to attend any of these funerals? No, because Joe Biden barely, barely acknowledges that riots are taking place and that the communities hit the hardest are minority communities, particularly black communities, particularly poor communities. So where's Black Lives Matter? You see, ladies and gentlemen, these are ideological and political movements, many of, you, many of which use various issues to promote them. In this case, it's race, which is explosive. It's an explosive issue. But the answer is always the same. Elect Democrats, elect more Democrats, elect only Democrats. Even though every one of these cities are controlled by Democrats. Every one of them. One party rule. And the answer always is to attack capitalism, to attack the Constitution, And to talk about America as being systemically racist. Honestly, I don't even know what that means. And neither do the people who keep spewing it. They don't either. But if there is an entity that's systemically racist, that would be the Democrat Party. That's right. When you look at the history of the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party fought a civil war in this country in defense of slavery. 
The Democrat Party spawned the Ku Klux Klan. The Democrat Party rejected Reconstruction. And for almost a hundred years pushed segregation. The Democrat Party's justices on the Supreme Court. Roger Taney in the Dred Scott case. The 1896 Plessy versus Ferguson case. They gave us enshrined and attempted to constitutionalize slavery. Attempted to constitutionalize segregation. The Constitution doesn't provide for slavery. It doesn't provide for segregation. The Democrat Party opposed the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments to the Constitution. Applying citizenship, equality, due process to black people in this country. Specifically abolishing slavery. Well into the last century, the Democrat Party relied on segregationist communities, not just in the South, but also in the North. And bigots and racists as part of their coalition. The Democrat Party held a convention less than 100 years ago in New York City. It's called the Clam Bake as thousands and thousands of Klansmen in their white hoods and white robes marched toward today Madison Square Garden. And guess what? They would not even reject lynching. Lynching. In their Democrat protocol that was passed by that convention. Now the Democrat Party doesn't stand for any of that today. But what does it stand for? Democratic socialism. Well what is that? It's another form of tyranny. It's not about liberty. It's not about individualism. It's not about a colorblind society. It's not about prosperity for all. It's about putting people down, controlling people, all the people. It's about turning one group against the other. It's about fighting Martin Luther King's notion and Frederick Douglass's notion and Abraham Lincoln's notion and and Ulysses S. Grant's notion of a colorblind society. They will not allow you to embrace a colorblind society. Everything is about identity politics. Everything. The Democrat Party. But they have something going for them today that they really have never had before. A tyrannical media. You see, even during the Civil War, there were Democrat newspapers, Republican newspapers, pro-slavery newspapers, anti-slavery newspapers. Today, the newspapers, the media, with very few exceptions, with very, very few exceptions, is a propaganda machine for the Democrat Party. In fact, 
The Democrat Party has in many ways devoured the media. You can see a number of people, so-called prominent journalists, who are Democrats, who are sympathetic to their radical progressive ideology. The Democrat Party does not embrace freedom. It embraces government. The Democrat Party believes you get your liberty through government programs, through government regulations, through government fiats. That's not what Abraham Lincoln believed. That's not what the founders believed. They believed you must have a just law, and that was what the Civil uh, Civil War was fought about, the injustices. But that people need to be free. You've got people in the poorest inner city communities, people of color, who are forced to send their kids to dangerous, failing public schools down the street. These are Democrat cities, Democrat governors. Barack Obama, I'll get to him later tonight because he's speaking out and wants to speak out more, wants to talk about uniting and healing. Barack Obama stood in the way of freeing little black kids in the poorest inner city neighborhoods to go to some of the best schools in their cities. And one of the major reasons is you have two Democrat constituency groups, white liberals and gentrified whites, or even gentrified blacks, in various communities, Georgetown, Soho, on and on and on. And then you have poor people. The white liberals, and in fact, the black liberals who've made it, they don't want those kids going to their schools in the inner cities. They don't want it. Every one of these athletes who speak out, their kids go to the best schools. Every one of these Hollywood actors and actresses, their kids go to the best schools. And if there aren't great schools in the city, they send them to private schools. Fine. But why shouldn't the dollars follow the poor kids too? Like they do in colleges and universities. You get a stipend and you make a decision. Parents in poor inner city neighborhoods who are black and Hispanic in particular, they want these choices. Well, who's standing in the way? The Democrat mayors, the Democrat city council, the Democrat governors, a Democrat first African-American president of the United States, his vice president, Joe Biden. They're in the back pockets of the National Education Association, two million strong. The American Federation of Teachers, 800,000 strong. They all man the precincts. It's the second biggest contributor to the Democrat Party behind the trial lawyers. Who's selling out whom? If the Democrat Party disappeared tomorrow, this would be a better country. Replaced with another party, don't get me wrong. Because radical progressivism, as I've told you many times, is really, when you think about it, the progeny of Marx, 
and Hegel and Rousseau. Many of you don't know who some of them are. They opposed individual liberty. They opposed everything that's in the Declaration of Independence. More when I return. Mark Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. Let me make a suggestion to you. You know, slavery was a real thing. It's a real thing. And segregation was a real thing. And when you subjugate people, it is a horrific thing. A horrific thing. And the response has been government programs. AmeriCorps, VISTA, this program, that program, subsidies, parachuting bureaucrats into communities, running money through corrupt Democrat machines. No, 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 no. You know what needs to happen in Mark's little opinion? I'm just one man. We need the Freedom Corps, where people have not been shown, or not enough of them have been shown, how to start businesses, how to get jobs, how to make jobs, how to embrace liberty, to pursue prosperity. When people have been through hell through so much of their existence why don't we embrace them and show them what liberty can do I'll be right back At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western Theological Tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. The liberals and the Republicans don't like him, but America does. You can call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. Heather McDonald is a friend. She's also a scholar. She's also courageous. And she is expert in many things, including what we're experiencing and watching today. How are you, Heather? Great to be with you again, Mark. It's fantastic. This is the best part of my day right now. Well, you're very, very kind. You wrote a uh, remarkable piece, as you always do, in the Wall Street Journal. And I want to set it up this way. You know, the left and the Democrat Party, in my view, in many ways, have turned the police into the enemy of the poor and the inner city. And we see when the police are turned into the enemy in broad strokes, right? What happens? Who suffers? The people in these communities. Isn't that true? Listen, Mark, I've never been to a police community meeting in the inner city, whether it's Harlem or central Brooklyn or south side of Chicago, where I don't hear those good people, the many, many law-abiding bourgeois residents of high-crime areas beg the police for more protection. I spoke with a cancer amputee in the Bronx who said to me, please, Jesus, send more police. The only time she felt safe to go into her lobby to get her mail was when the police were there because otherwise it was colonized by trespassing youth, loitering, smoking weed, and smelling, selling drugs. An elderly woman in the 41st precinct of the South Bronx during a police community meeting just exclaimed out of nowhere spontaneously, how lovely when we see the police. They are my friends. These voices never get heard because the media don't care to hear them. And there's a, uh, I'll say, quote-unquote, disproportionate number of police in these communities. Uh, But disproportionate is not the right word, is it? It's because that's where much of the crime takes place. The big lie of all anti-cop activists, of all anti-cop politicians, of the mainstream media is to analyze police activity against a benchmark of population. Now, this is sort of complicated, but it's a very important point. They'll say, well, uh, blacks are stopped at a rate higher than their representation in any given city's population. Say in New York, they're 23% of the population, they're 50% of all stops. That's the wrong benchmark. The police do not go on race, they go on crime. They go on where people are being victimized. And it turns out that in New York City, blacks commit about 70% of all shootings. That's according to the victims of and witnesses to those shootings who are themselves overwhelmingly black and Hispanic. So when you're analyzing police data and activity like stops and arrests, the relevant benchmark is who's committing the crime. And the public has been kept systematically in the dark 
about the extent of those crime differences uh, in American cities. Blacks die of homicide in this country at six times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined. You would think that would be a civil rights problem that people who care about black lives would be concerned about. It turns out only the police care about those black lives. And why do blacks die of homicide at six times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined? Because they commit homicide at eight times the rate of whites and Hispanics combined. It's criminals who are the problem in the inner city, not the police. Which leads me to this point, Heather. Why do we keep using the liberal, white, radical, progressive model over and over and over again in these communities? Where they, and I might say, individuals like Obama and other so-called black leaders, refuse to allow things like school choice, reject the notion of enterprise zones, that is, bringing prosperity and teaching how to become uh, capitalists and so forth, because it's ideologically repugnant to them. And this is a problem, is it not? Well, you know, I would say the biggest problem is the refusal to talk about the breakdown of the family in the inner city. Obama did that in 2008 when he was running for president. He made a great Father's Day speech in Chicago where he said, if we're honest, we have to admit that too many fathers are absent from their child's lives. And he gave the statistics. This is something sociologists have known for decades, though they're not willing really to publicize it, that although there's many heroic single mothers who are working night and day their hearts out to raise law-abiding boys, it's very hard. It's very hard for a single mother to do that. And Obama gave the statistics. If you are raised without a father, you are far more likely to be poor, to be truant at school, to drop out of school, to join a gang, to get involved in drugs, to end up in prison. Uh, and, and that is a problem that affects the black community at catastrophic levels. Nationally, 72% of black children are born to single mothers. In places like Mott Haven in the, in the Bronx or, or inner city Min, uh, uh, Milwaukee, it's closer to 85, 90%. Nothing is going to change. The police are the second best solution to crime. The best solution is families that raise law-abiding children. But it wasn't always this way. Black families used to be very, very, and still are in some cases, very, very tight. Uh, the nuclear family uh, and, and uh, church going and these sorts of things. What affected that? Well, I think the whole race ideology that came into being in the 60s and the refusal to all of a sudden the rejection of bourgeois values, the, the idea of black power, uh, no longer wanting to be colorblind, wanting to have a separate angry racial identity. Obviously, there's strong theses from people like Thomas Sowell that uh, the welfare state that, that stripped people of independence, that developed a dependency on welfare, that incentivized uh, single motherhood also played a role. I think culture is, is, a, is the biggest determinant, frankly. And who really is the most influential, influential and powerful force in our culture today? Universities. I mean, this is all coming out. The, the, what we're seeing now with this 
unbelievable wave. It is so much worse. I never would have thought that it was worse than 2015 and 2016 at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. This now is is unstoppable. The the wave of self-flagellation about white supremacy that has taken over every single institution, corporations, banks, sports teams, you name it. It's because we've had another five years of academically driven identity politics that has been pumped into the body politic. Uh, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, uh, which is the favorite reading of, of, on, on, a, on college campuses assigned to every freshman practically, that says the very essence of America is to destroy the black body. You have the Pulitzer Prize being awarded to the New York Times' 1619 project that says that America was founded in order to preserve slavery. Uh, and the the lead author of that of that book was recently saying that we should not use the term violence to refer to looting and torching of stores uh, because that's not what real violence is. Uh, you know, this has now become absolutely normalized in our culture, and I fear, just as we saw so many targeted assassinations of police officers during the Obama Black Lives Matter mo- moment. Uh, it's already starting to happen at a much more rapid rate. This is a very terrifying moment, especially for police officers, but frankly for everybody, because we've heard of the broken windows thesis, where if you leave broken windows in a you know abandoned neighborhood uh, unfixed, that that's going to encourage other forms of public disorder and crime. Well, now we have literal broken windows that government has turned its eyes away from. It is setting the precedent that anarchy will not be put down with force, that people will justify it in the name of racial justice. The anarchists, the looters, the hoodlums, they are watching carefully and they are learning a very important lesson. What's the evidence of systemic racism in our police departments? None. Uh, Let's look at some numbers. It's always hard to take in over over the uh, radio, but let's just look at one number, nine. Nine is the number of so-called unarmed blacks who were killed in 2019 by police officers. That's according to the Washington Post database of police killings. The Washington Post defines unarmed very broadly to include people who are grabbing an officer's gun, beating him with it or trying to shoot him with it, or going on a police chase with an armed, with a a loaded semi-automatic pistol in their car. Those count as unarmed victims of police shootings. So there were nine of those unarmed and, and let me slow you down here. When I watched, and it was very painful, these Sunday news shows, which are not news shows, they're propaganda shows, and they talked about systemic racism, and they brought in Cornell West and other people. I said, you've named one case. This, right. this cop who killed George Floyd, I think we can all agree with that. Yep. Give me two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight others. They can't. We're told we should not racially profile blacks based on exponentially higher rates of criminal offending. Well, we might also not profile police officers based on one absolutely horrific, incomprehensible arrest. There's about 700,000 police officers in the country. They engage in 375 million encounters with civilians a year. some of those are bad encounters. Some of those cops should not be on the force. Many need more tactical training. They're desperate 
for more tactical training. I know officers who pay for their own because their departments instead are frittering away precious training dollars on ridiculous implicit bias training, which is an insult to their intelligence. Uh, but, but however bad this is, uh, it is not representative. And if we heard as much about the childhood victims of drive-by shootings in inner cities, whether it's a two-year-old shot uh, just last September in Minneapolis, uh, or killed a two-year-old killed in Minneapolis in 2016. None of those get any attention from the mainstream media because they are not shot by cops. How about this one, Heather McDonald? Chicago Tribune, dated today, more than 20, 20 shot over 12 hours in Chicago as gun violence remains high for a second week. It's nothing to do with these riots. Right. And you read about this all the time in Chicago and other cities. There's no marching. There's no rioting. There's no Barack Obama giving a speech or George W. Bush putting out anything. You don't hear a damn thing. Guess who is racist, Mark? The mainstream media. There were 4,300 people shot in Chicago in 2016. That's one person every two hours. Two dozen children under the age of 12 were shot. A three-year-old was shot on Father's Day. Uh, he's now paralyzed for life. A, a 12-year-old boy, 10-year-old boy was shot on, on uh, Labor Day. The, the bullet ripped through his kidney and intestines and spleen. We don't hear about them because they're black victims of black criminals. Imagine if 24 white children had been shot. There would be a national outcry. We know what, we've seen it with, with school shootings. The fact of the matter is, the media doesn't give a damn about black lives unless they're shot by a cop. And again, the people who do are the cops. There is no government agency more dedicated to the proposition that black lives matter than the police. And earlier in the show, I was talking about the black individuals who were murdered during these riots. And Black Lives Matter has said nothing. Uh, LeBron James has said nothing. Steve Kerr has said nothing. Joe Biden isn't talking about attending any of their funerals. So it appears that not all Black Lives Matter to certain Black Lives Matter organizations. Isn't that correct? Right. This is purely ideological. It's not about saving life, because if you cared about saving life, you would not demonize the cops, because they're going to back off. In, in the Ferguson effect that I wrote about, 2,000 additional black males were killed in 2015 and 2016. Let me, let me stop you. I have to take a hard break. Can you, can you hold over for a few minutes? Yeah, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back with Heather McDonald. Mark Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of the stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Hey, the McDonald, much of the media, as you point out, really is racist, winningly or unwittingly, isn't it? And the President of the United States is trying to put down these riots. The Insurrection Act, which all of a sudden you're not allowed to use, has been used by six presidents in the last hundred years for a variety of reasons. Uh, he, uh, presidents have federalized the National Guard to put down riots that are much less ubiquitous than these riots. And the Democrat Party really won't speak out against the riots. If they do, it's almost in passing. What do you make of all this? It's, it's absolutely bizarre. I, I mean, we are, we are threatening our civilization. I don't know how we, how we walk back from this. Government has an absolute obligation to protect public safety, to protect property, which is the sum total of human effort and, and imagination and, and uh, contributions to other human beings. And the absolute refusal to call these things riots, I'm so sick of hearing them referred to as protests or as best uh, uh, unrest. Now, obviously, there are peaceful protests going on, but that is not the term that's being used. Uh, when, we're, when they talk about the protests, they're referring to the rioting. I, I think it just comes out of a hatred that is so deep uh, for what is viewed as, as establishment America and a desire to really tear it all down. It's, it's, the, it's a bizarre continuation of the ridiculously overbroad economic shutdowns during the coronavirus where you had politicians that didn't have a clue about the complexity of the economy, telling these businesses to shut down, shelter in place. Well, boy, are we sheltering in place here in New York. Everything is boarded up. My building is boarded up. People are terrified to go out at night. Uh, this is going to be the end of American cities. At that, now, right there, that's interesting you said that, because for several days I said, the cities are going to depopulate. The people left behind will be mostly poor minorities. So basically, we're going to self-segregate, not because of racism, but because of these conditions. Uh, there'll be less capital moving into these cities, because nobody wants to pour money into areas where uh, uh, there are riots and they can't be protected. And it's going to have a serious impact on these cities. These cities are going to die. Absolutely. I thought they were going to die before the riots hit, just because social distancing, ridiculous, arbitrary six-foot rule, makes most of city life impossible. You can't have a restaurant with six feet. You can't have a concert. You can't go to an opera with six feet. You can't have people on a stage with six feet. It was already bad enough. People were already leaving. Uh, but now with the riots, as you say, the uncertainty of investment, if you, if you know, A, that your, your government is going to tell your business to go shut down without sufficient public health reason for doing so, and it's not going to protect you from rioting, why stay? All right. Heather McDonald, thank you for all your work. Keep it up. We much appreciate you. Be safe, and we'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Elements of the Republican Party, never Trumpers, George Bush, many in his former cabinet, former staffers, clearly the media, even some in the military, law enforcement, intelligence, are all arrayed against Donald Trump. It's not a conspiracy. It's a fact. And some days I wonder how this man can possibly get reelected if we don't really stand up. It's one pseudo-event, one fictional concoction after another to try and create as much as possible dissatisfaction, division against this president and his administration. And you look at this president and you have to wonder, really, what has he done to deserve this kind of treatment? Most of you are not familiar with the halls of Congress or the halls of media organizations. You're not familiar with the very close social circle, even Republicans and Democrats, generals and Hollywood actors. But it exists. We just went through three years of a coup effort, so-called Russia collusion with the President of the United States. A broad, expensive, aggressive criminal investigation, massive numbers of leaks coming out of the FBI, coming out of the Mueller operation, coming out of our intelligence agencies. With one Obama holdover after another, one Clinton holdover after another, and bureaucrats trying to take out the President of the United States. The greatest scandal, I would argue, in American history. And then they impeach him. Impeach him for what? For a phone call in which there was nothing, nothing untoward. And then what do they do? They use a so-called whistleblower. It's not even a whistleblower. An Obama holdover. A CIA operative who runs to the Democrats and the Adam Schiff staff as a pretext to impeach a president of the United States whose name will not be published in the major newspapers in this country or spoken on any cable TV channel, let alone news channel. Have you ever seen anything like that in your life? The Obama administration put spies in Donald Trump's uh, campaign. The Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC put together, it's not even opposition research, an absolute lie. Again, used as a pretext to trigger 
espionage and other types of investigative activities against the president, his family, and his staff. A cabal at the Justice Department and the FBI talking about removing the president of the 25th Amendment. Academia putting out the most unethical papers about how the president's not mentally stable, how he's dangerous. You have disloyal former Trump administration staff who go out and write books and try to make money and give speeches. And having left the Trump administration, try to get back in the good graces of their former colleagues. It's shocking. Now the latest is General Mattis. General Mattis. Who apparently decides to pick the Atlanta, a well-known left-wing magazine, and Jeffrey Goldberg, a well-known left-wing writer, to try and destroy the presidency and the re-election of Donald Trump. I saw the Secretary of Defense today, Esper, never heard of him before until the president plucked him from obscurity and made him his defense secretary. And I was stunned. I had never seen a Secretary of the Treasury conduct such a press conference, accuse the American people of being systemically racist, saying that we will not use the Defense Department for political reasons when we have our cities burning? I didn't elect him. I don't know who he is. And what does he mean we will not use the Defense Department for political reasons? Will you use it to stop an insurrection? Will you use it to protect the people in these cities? Will you use it to bring law and order like six past presidents have done? This president should be denied the ability to use existing law to protect the people of this country because a secretary of defense, a man he plucked from obscurity, is reading the Washington Post? While our police officers all over the country are the target of a war against them. They're being brutalized. And so on top of all this, Jim Mad Dog Mattis has decided he wants to drop a nuclear bomb. Jim Mad Dog Mattis, who opposed a number of the president's policies, he didn't want to pull out of the nuclear Iran deal. Well, that was the president's decision. He was right. He didn't want to withdraw troops from Syria and Afghanistan. Fine, but he's not the commander-in-chief. He opposed the cutting of funds for the Defense Department to monitor the impacts of climate change. And having failed to convince the president of the United States Against withdrawing all American troops from Syria, he announced his resignation effective February 28, 2019. The president has never pulled all forces from Syria. General Mattis became enormously political. And he decided he couldn't work for the commander-in-chief. And he left, and that's the way it's supposed to go. But he's back. He's back. 
five months before a general election. He watches the media, he watches the Democrat Party, and he decides to try and influence the outcome of the election. I remember when generals used to retire and then shut up and leave it to the generals who come in behind to handle things. Not anymore. Donald Trump is president. And by all means and any means, he must be defeated, right? And if these forces, these elements in our government or attached to our government succeed in November, we'll never have another chance. And so this will be now, we go from the lockdown by blue state governors and blue state mayors Destroying one business after another. Destroying our economy. To the riots, which of course are peaceful. Just look for yourselves. That the President of the United States is threatening the First Amendment, ladies and gentlemen. Not the governor shutting down churches. Not the government destroying people's private property. Not the, not the governors who are destroying the, uh, the ability to uh, freely associate, peaceably to assemble. No, 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 no. It's Donald Trump who has denounced the attacks on America's civil liberties. It's Donald Trump who denounced this cop who killed George Floyd. It's Donald Trump who sent the Civil Rights Division and the Criminal Division and the Attorney General and all the resources of the federal government to assist in the investigation and the prosecution of these police officers. It's Donald Trump who's trying to secure the border and reinstitute lawful immigration. It's Donald Trump who's built up the United States military after it's been abused for a decade. He's the threat to our Constitution, ladies and gentlemen. He's the threat. According to General Mattis and the media and the fired or resigned heads of the FBI, the former Obama officials who ran our intelligence agencies. The Secretary of Defense today was a disgrace. I was embarrassed. I could never imagine Caspar Weinberger, tremendous man, Secretary of Defense, for virtually the entirety of both Reagan's terms, holding a press conference and publicly taking a position to try and box a president in one way or another. The Insurrection Act sounds very, very evil. But that act is intended to preserve our republic, to preserve our constitution. It's been used by Woodrow Wilson and Herbert Hoover and Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower and Bush 41 and Bush 43. But Trump, the dictator, hasn't even triggered it yet. Hasn't even federalized the National Guard. He gives these governors a tongue lashing. And that's just rude. You can't do that, Mr. President. Burn, baby, burn. So now comes Mattis. Who disagreed with the president on policy issues, so he resigns. He now says he's a direct threat to the Constitution of the United States. 
I'll tell you something, Mr. Mattis. I know you got all kinds of medals. I know you've been in all kinds of combat. I know you've led all kinds of combat forces. You know, my family, we never had any generals. Just men who went into combat. You know, Mr. Mattis, my grandfather joined the Marines when he was 34 years old after Pearl Harbor. His brother-in-law, Tug, as he was known, joined with him. They signed up together. They wound up in separate divisions. Now, Tug, my great-uncle, he fought at Guadalcanal. My grandfather, whose real name was Maurice, but he hated it, called himself Mo, Mo Rubin. He fought at Iwo Jima, and he fought at Guam. They would consider you a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. You're giving aid and comfort to a political party that has eviscerated the United States military. That has disrespected the United States military. You've given aid and comfort to an ideology, a Kaepernick ideology, where people take a knee during the national anthem. And tonight, Mr. Mattis, you're no longer a general. You've given aid and comfort to the people looting and burning and brutalizing our inner cities and mostly people of color. That's what you've done. You've inflamed the media. Perhaps you've inflamed the rioters. And the Democrat Party benefits from all of it. Even though they run the cities and they run the states. They run the programs and the money runs through their corrupt hands. Now what exactly did James Mattis say? with his deep and broad knowledge of the United States Constitution, of course. Highly respected over there at the Atlantic, that is, our military and the Constitution, of course. I'll tell you when I return. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. 
After the bottom of the hour, I'm going to read you what Mattis put out through the Atlantic Monthly. Then I'm going to read you what the United States Park Police put out, and I'm going to show you that what General Mattis has actually done is stabbed the United States Park Police in the back. He has stabbed local law enforcement in the back. He has embraced intentionally the false narrative about what took place in Lafayette Park. And then he trashes the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. While we have these various insurrections going on in our cities. With arson and looting and so forth. I don't care what General Mattis has done in the past. He's got his medals, he's got his ribbons, he's got his pension. We've saluted him and we've thanked him. What he's doing now? What he's doing now? He's not just undermining the president. The president's not the country. But he's undermining the country. Because he's decided to dabble in politics. Absolutely disgraceful. Yes, that's right, media. That's exactly what I said. He rejects what the Park Service had to say and the Park Police. And while our thin blue line is getting thinner and thinner, and the men and women in law enforcement more and more need the backing of the United States military, a law that's been used by six presidents in the course of less than a century, Donald Trump, you see, is a threat to the Constitution. Honestly, what a fool. And the general's a tough guy. I'll invite him on this program publicly. Come on and let's have a debate. Mr. Producer, reach out to General Mattis, would you? I don't know where to find him, but contact the Atlantic. They know where to find him. Mortgage rates in the twos are possible. They're here, and you may qualify for them, meaning you can save hundreds of dollars every month. Those kinds of savings can really add up and really make a difference for you. So why not make today the day you do something about it? Get a free, free mortgage review from my friends at American Financing. That's right. People love these people. They're treated with respect. There are no upfront fees to pay. There's no obligation. Just a simple conversation around new loan options that may be a better fit for you. You're never going to see rates like this. You know what else? You don't have to start your loan term over. That's going to save you a lot of money on interest. So do yourself a favor. Give American Financing a call. It only takes 10 minutes to start. You may even be uh, able to postpone, postpone two months of mortgage payments. Call 888-900-1828. You might want to jot this down, and you might want to call immediately. 888-900-1828. Or you can apply online at AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, So I will read to you, which is going to infuriate you. Because Mattis isn't, isn't talking to the American people. He's talking to the left-wing press, and he's talking to the Democrat Party. And then I'm going to read to you what the United States Park Police had to say, and how incredibly disgraceful Mattis's actions truly are. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. The Mark Lofin Show, where we create the talking points. Call in now, 877-381-3811. And we discuss things that are way over the head of the kamikaze media. So let me make a few points. Abraham Lincoln had lousy generals for most of the war. Until Grant, until Sherman, and a handful of others. But lousy generals. And he fired them. One of them ran against him. When he was seeking re-election. Ran against him as a Democrat. I can only imagine what Mattis would have said about Lincoln. When he suspended habeas corpus. When Lincoln would sit in what is today the old executive office building. And look at the information that was coming out in the field and contact his generals and encourage them to take certain strategic actions or pull back from certain strategic actions. He would read the telegraph information and he would send telegraphs out to them. Can you imagine what Mattis would say? When the Secretary of War, Stanton, you don't have to support these things, I'm just pointing them out, shut down 300 newspapers most of which were in the South, but some of which were in the North that were opposed to the war or wanted a a peace. Including two newspapers in New York City. They also arrested some of the journalists. I can only imagine what Mattis would have said about Lincoln. In fact, there was an Ohio congressman who spoke out strongly against the Civil War. And Lincoln, as Secretary of War, considered him a subversive. Do you know what they did, Mr. Producer? They arrested him. And then they deported him out of the North into the South. I'm not encouraging this. I'm explaining this. And obviously... For much of the Civil War, the war went very badly for the North. And the casualties were massive. Absolutely massive, one battle after another. We've only seen something like this in World War I and World War II, but not even then, because it was American fighting American. The last thing a president needs when he's trying to deal with Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, or whatever the issues are, is a Secretary of Defense, a retired general, who continues to debate with him or second-guess him about his decisions just because he disagrees with the policies. Climate change. What do you think Abraham Lincoln would have said about spending precious dollars through the Defense Department on climate change? That's all political. President of the United States decided he wanted to get out of the Iran deal. Many of us supported that. He ran on that. 
Mattis fought him on it. President says, I want to get the troops out of Syria. He didn't take all the troops out of Syria, but he took a lot of them out of Syria. Mattis says, that's it. I'm resigning. Fine. Where was General Mattis when his colleague, General Mike Flynn, was being destroyed by the FBI and the United States Department of Justice? Why didn't he put out a statement last week or the week before in support of his colleague, three-star general, lieutenant general, retired, Mike Flynn, whose career and reputation was destroyed, but for the fact that the President of the United States and the Attorney General of the United States restored it after exposing The unconstitutional acts of low-life former FBI agents, of low-life Obama officials. Apparently that didn't move General Mattis to issue a statement, did it? He didn't issue a statement when Obama was president and Biden was vice president. Eviscerating the United States military. He didn't say a word. Nothing. But now he speaks because he wants to influence the outcome of the election. And in the end what he says are the words of a damn fool. Let me do this first then I'm going to tell you what he says. And what he does is undermines the United States Park Police, law enforcement, who are on the line trying to protect our monuments, trying to protect the White House, the head of the government, trying to protect Lafayette Park, trying to protect St. John's Church. And what does Mattis do? What the president did was just a photo op. In other words, he might as well be a reporter, yeah, right, for CNN and MSNBC. And he was moved now. To say that the president's threatening the Constitution of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Not Nancy Pelosi. Not Chuck Schumer. Not the hard left. No, 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 no. Donald Trump. What a disgraceful act. Do you know what we do at Levin TV on the Blaze TV network? We give you intelligent content you won't see anywhere else. We take a deep dive into the Constitution. General Mattis may want to watch all aspects of the Constitution. We look at history. We look at current actions. But history has shown us what the so-called progressives use, that they use any crisis to further their big government agenda. Small business continue to hurt while the left holds them hostage in order to gain more power of each and every American. There's nothing more important in these times than the facts, and that's exactly what you get on my show on Levin TV. But remember, we can only produce this, this type of programming, if you continue to participate. If you can't, I understand if the economy is such. But if you can, now's the time. And we've made it much easier for you than ever before. I'm not in charge of the management decisions here. 
But I did tell the folks that I would prefer, given the economic conditions, that we continue with our discount. And they've agreed. Just go to levintv.com, promo code Levin. levintv.com, promo code Levin, and get $30 off your annual subscription. That's just over $5 a month for the most amazing shows and programming available. That's levintv.com, promo code Levin. All right. So Mattis puts out this statement to a left-wing magazine. No friend of the military, no friend of law enforcement, and in my view, no friend of the Constitution. To a guy by the name of Jeffrey Goldberg, who's had his head so far up Obama's that he still hasn't found his eyes. He says, Donald Trump, does Mattis, is the first president in my lifetime who does not try to unite the American people, does not even pretend to try. I guess he's not familiar with Obama. Instead, he tries to divide us. We are witnessing the consequences of three years of this deliberate effort. We're witnessing the consequences of three years without mature leadership. We can unite without him, drawing on the strengths inherent in our civil society. This will not be easy, as the past few days have shown, But we owe it to our fellow citizens, to past generations that bled to defend our promise and to our children. So in other words, when people in my family fought for this country, they fought to prevent the ascendancy of somebody like Donald Trump. Is that how you feel, veterans out there? Does he speak for you? Then he goes on to contrast the American ethos of unity, writes Goldberg, with Nazi ideology. Quote, instructions given by the military departments to our troops before the Normandy invasion reminded soldiers that the Nazi slogan for destroying us was divide and conquer. Our American answer is, in union there is strength. We must summon that unity to surmount this crisis, confident that we are better than our politics. Now, I don't know if it was intended or otherwise, but when you use this word Nazi, you know that's incendiary. It's inflammatory. And he used it in the context of denouncing the President of the United States. This is a general. Does he understand what took place in the Third Reich? Absolutely shocking to me. He said, when you leave an administration over clear policy differences, you need to give the people who are still there as much opportunity as possible to defend the country. So in other words... His disagreement with Trump over these policies that I discussed with you is a matter of defending our country against Trump's decisions. He writes, they'll still have the responsibility of protecting this great big experiment of ours. However, he added, this is a period in which I owe my silence. It's not eternal. It's not going to be forever. He says, when I joined the military some 50 years ago, I swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And I might tell General Mattis, he's not the only one. Never did I dream that troops taking the same oath would be ordered under any circumstances to violate the constitutional rights of their fellow citizens. I'm thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Much less to provide a bizarre photo op, oh, for the elected commander-in-chief with military leadership Standing alongside. 
So this is the pressure on this Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, you see. They want to make this an issue. So now, that's the shiny object. Not the looting, not the killing, not the mayhem, not the Democrat mayors, not the Democrat governors, but Trump. You knew it was always going to come down to this, didn't you, ladies and gentlemen? It was always going to come down to Trump and General Mattis as aiding and abetting the Democrat Party and the hard left and worse in this country. And he knows he's doing it. But he has this personal animosity to Trump that Trump didn't agree with his policy proposals, that Trump came into office with his own policy ideas, was elected president of the United States, and this general, retired now, doesn't like it. Mad dog doesn't like it. He goes on. Militarizing our response, as we witnessed in Washington, D.C., sets up a conflict, a false conflict, between the military and civilian society. It erodes the moral ground that ensures a trusted bond between men and civilian society. Men and women in uniform in the society they are sworn to protect, and of which they themselves are a part. Keeping public order rests with civilian state and local leaders who best understand their communities and are answerable to them. I thought this guy was a quasi-intellectual. I mentioned Bush 43, Bush 41, Eisenhower, Truman, Hoover, and Wilson. He says a number of other things. But he says the president is threatening the Constitution. Threatening the Constitution. Now I want to tell you what the Park Service said about what took place in Lafayette Park, which General Mattis chooses to ignore. General Mattis advances the lie that Lafayette Park was cleared out for a photo op. What all the phonies on CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post have been saying all day, all night long. Completely rejecting and dismissing, basically calling the United States Park Service liars. And General Mattis doing exactly the same thing because he wanted to have an opportunity to affect the outcome of this election. Because apparently Donald Trump decided to enforce his own policies. Rather than General Mattis's policies on climate change, on Iran and so forth. I want to remind you what the United States Park Police said yesterday. I'll be right back. I keep running out of time. But we'll continue. I have another hour, and we have Mike Lee coming in in the next hour to discuss what took place with the Rod Rosenstein hearing. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated, you never use it. It's like a complicated will or trust or what. What's the point? 
This is exactly the type of security system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. They believe that Simple is safer. And it's exactly why Simply Safe is the home security for right now when feeling safe at home has never been more important. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24 7. Order online with the click of a button, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, you're ready to go, your home's protected around the clock. No technician or salesperson has to come and disrupt your house. Head to simplysafemark.com now more than ever, folks. Get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com. And we want to make sure they know that you have been listening to my program. So we have General Mattis who falls on a sword and kills his own reputation with a big swath of the American people because he falls on his sword over a lie. And yet he decides this is the moment to take the hill. This is the moment. This is the moment to charge. To take out the President of the United States. To make it impossible to win re-election. Where he knows his statements. Because of his past heroic conduct in the military. Not as Secretary of Defense, mind you. That that needs to be used to defeat Trump. And so he ignores the facts. He makes a damn fool out of himself. This is issued by the Chief Gregory Monahan, the Acting Chief of the United States Park Police, Law Enforcement, Federal. And Mattis just undermined them. The United States Park Police, USPP, is committed to the peaceful expression of First Amendment rights. But this past weekend's demonstrations at Lafayette Park and across the National Mall included activities that were not part of a peaceful protest which resulted in injuries, injuries, General Mattis, to the USPP officers in the line of duty, the destruction of public property, and the defacing of memorials and monuments. During four days of demonstrations, 51 members of the USPP were injured. Of these, 11 were transported to the hospital and released, and three were admitted. On Monday, the USPP worked with the U.S. Secret Service to have temporary fencing installed inside Lafayette Park. Let us not forget, they burned the historic church there. But what else did they do at the United States Park Police? What else did they do? Well, when we come back, I'll remind you, and I'll educate General Mattis, who, in my view, just made a historic ass out of himself. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. General Mattis has done this nation a grave disservice. A grave disservice. Adding further energy to the civil unrest, to the violence. The enormous difficulty front line our first responders are having to deal with it. Brave men and women all, the brave men and women of the National Guard, in some cases being called out. I guess he thinks the president should sit on his hands. Tell me, is that what presidents do? These are citizens of the United States. And then he has the gall to invoke the Constitution. And what he does is he undermines law enforcement. He undermines the men and women who are currently serving in the United States military. He's sending messages to the media, to the Democrat Party, to the command structure in the Pentagon. Resist the President of the United States. Resist law and order. General Mattis in his statement doesn't say a damn thing about the people who are being harmed by these mobs. Not the police, not the minorities, not all human beings, not the steward, not a damn thing. And so he will be celebrated by the same forces in this country who are celebrating the burning of our cities in one form or another. The Park Police put out a statement yesterday that General Mattis had access to. And he doesn't reference it. He doesn't use the facts that they present. They were there. Law enforcement. Upholding the Constitution. Protecting the White House. Protecting the monuments. Protecting the church that was burned. And the stores and the other buildings that were burned around it. Within one block of the, of the White House. But he pretends these are peaceable protesters. He's done a grave, grave disservice. He's exploiting the moment. As Biden exploits the moment. As Kamala Harris exploits the moment. As the National Press Corps exploits the moment. You know... The real press in this country is at the local level. Good, bad, and indifferent. Imperfect as it is. Those are the real reporters. I want to get back to what the United States Park Service, the Park Police said. Because General Mattis said that what the president did was a photo op. And I'll get into that in a moment. The Park Service said on Monday, June 1, we worked with the United States Secret Service. By the way, scores of Secret Service personnel injured. Tell me, how many rioters have been killed by the police or the National Guard? A handful? Mostly by accident? Or if they turn, up, if they turn around with a pistol? General Mattis doesn't mention any of this. 
And he cites Lincoln, of all people, who wouldn't put up with this for one damn second. That I can assure you. Neither would General Grant or General Sherman or General Sheridan. Would they, General Mattis? I wonder what General Mattis thinks of General Sherman, come to think of it. Remember him, Mr. Producer? He was famously sent to Atlanta to burn it to the ground. And then he went through Georgia all the way to the ocean and burned everything in sight. A civilian took the, the wheat, took the animals and so forth and so on. wonder what he thinks about that. Monday, June 1, the USPP, Park Police, Park Police, worked with the United States Secret Service to have temporary fencing installed inside Lafayette Park. At approximately 6.33 p.m., violent protesters on 8th Street Northwest, that's one block from the White House, began throwing projectiles, including bricks, frozen water bottles, and caustic liquids. Now, keep in mind, we have Antifa, we have Black Lives Matter, we have other enormously violent groups, other left-wing anarchist Marxist groups. The protesters also climbed onto a historic building at the north end of Lafayette Park that was destroyed by arson days prior. Intelligence had revealed calls for violence against the police, and officers found caches of glass bottles, baseball bats, and metal poles hidden along the street. General doesn't mention any of this. To curtail the violence that was underway, the United States Park Police, following established policy, issued three warnings over a loudspeaker to alert demonstrators on 8th Street to evacuate the area. Horse-mounted patrol, civil disturbance units, and additional personnel were used to clear the area. As many of the protesters became more combative, continued to throw projectiles, and attempted to grab officers' weapons, General Mattis, officers then employed the use of smoke canisters and pepper balls. No tear gas was used by the United States Park Police, officers, or other assisting law enforcement partners to close the area at Lafayette Park. Subsequently, the fence was installed. Throughout the demonstrations, the Park Police made no arrests. Park Police will always support peaceful assembly, but cannot tolerate violence to citizens or officers or damage to our nation's resources that we are entrusted to protect. That's why Lafayette Park was cleared out. That's why it was cleared out. And then the President of the United States decided, you know what? I have to show the nation. The law-abiding citizens in these communities all over the country, and I have to show the criminals and the anarchists that they cannot intimidate the federal government, they cannot intimidate the executive branch, they cannot intimidate the President of the United States. Because you remember, the build-up to this was the President was hiding in the bunker. He wasn't seen, he was hiding. So after he spoke, he shortly thereafter walked across Lafayette Park, stood in front of the church that was attacked by the Peaceful protesters and burned. And if they had their way, burned to the ground. If they had their way, they'd burn the Justice Department to ground. 
They burned the White House to the ground. They burned the Capitol building to the ground. They they burned the Pentagon to the ground if they had their way, Mr. Mattis. You don't understand the military is the enemy, the biggest enemy of these people. And the president stood there with his mother's Bible. Mr. Mattis called that a photo op. That the president abused his power in the Constitution by forcing the military to participate in a photo op by violating the First Amendment rights of the protesters. So General Mattis has now exposed himself in many respects as an ignoramus. As a man who would not stand behind the police, the park police, the National Guard, or even his own Pentagon. And he's trying to tie the president's hands should this president, like six before him in the last century, need to call out the regular military to put down the riots. You see, Mr. Mattis isn't the president of the United States. He doesn't have these responsibilities on his shoulders. As a general in various combat theaters, he had a lot of responsibility. And I wonder what he would have felt if one of the generals down the line, maybe a two-star, three-star general, had accused him of violating the Constitution, had said they disagreed with his policy decisions. Mr. Mattis fell on his sword over a fiction, over a big lie. And I want to educate you, Mr. Mattis, since you brought up the Nazis. The Nazis would have rounded up those people and executed them on the spot. Not one of them was arrested. The Nazis would have rounded up the minorities in particular and sent them to gas chambers, Mr. Mattis. You invoke the Nazis? What an embarrassment. Let me tell you something else, Mr. Mattis, all over this country, but particularly in areas where there's a concentration of Jewish neighborhoods, and especially in Los Angeles. Synagogues have been desecrated. Mr. Mattis by the peaceful protesters who want civil rights and equality. Kosher restaurants have been burned to the ground, Mr. Mattis. You haven't seen that on CNN or MSNBC. You might, you might want to educate yourself a little bit before you try and under, undermine the commander-in-chief in the middle of an insurrection. What a disgrace. I am sure my hero grandfather also a Marine. I am sure he would be disgusted by you. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, 
and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Well, there's been a hearing in the uh, United States uh, Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee today, where the Republicans are extremely concerned about the civil liberties of this country, extremely concerned about how an administration can turn law enforcement and intelligence into a campaign tool to try and take out a candidate for president of the United States who happens to get elected, and then try and take out the president of the United States. And it started with the former Deputy Attorney General Rob Rosenstein. At that point, the Acting Attorney General. We have a great patriotic senator with us, a dear friend of mine, Mike Lee. How are you, sir? Doing great, Mark. Thank you very much. Mike, what do you make of today's hearings? What are the, what are the big headlines, you think? Well, it was a big deal that former Deputy Attorney General Rob Rosenstein said that if he had known then what he knows now, he would not have signed the application to spy on President Trump's campaign. That's a big deal. That shows that he was lied to, he was deceived, he was probably willfully deceived, and that it ended up changing the course of events. That's a big problem. Now, what is amazing to me, you and I are in sync on this FISA stuff. And what he disclosed as I was watching, and you, and you were doing a great job, by the way, and uh, Ted, too, and some of the others, as I was watching it, was how utterly outrageous this FISA system is. He didn't really know what was in it. You, you asked him, did you read it? Well, yeah, I kind of read it and so forth and so Excuse me? So he didn't really study it. He didn't really know what's in it, even though it involved somebody, even on the periphery, in the president's campaign and the judge doesn't review it carefully how the hell is an innocent person supposed to be protected in this process the bottom line is they wouldn't be and but for the fact that this particular target who they improperly selected in this case became the 45th president of the united states but for that fact we still wouldn't know about this one who knows how many innocent americans who didn't become the president of the united states have been spied on it improperly Look, what Rosenstein described today was ugly, and it calls out for the need for aggressive, immediate FISA reform. Because what he described today is a situation in which the FISA court, and for that matter, the approval of the attorney general or deputy attorney general, as the case may be, is some, somewhere between a rubber stamp and a notary public. That's oh, the problem. <laughs> I think that's, that's a good It's not funny, but the way you put it is funny. I think that's about right. Now, look. Not only that, these judges on these FISA courts, 
they knew relatively early on that they had been deceived. I'll tell you how they knew in part. Our little foundation, Landmark Legal Foundation, we filed a motion with that court, attached all these leaks, all these articles to the court. And you know what the judge did, Senator? She dismissed it. She just dismissed it. So we didn't need an independent, uh, uh, what is it, an IG report. And they, they still haven't held evidentiary hearings. They still haven't held anybody in contempt. What the hell kind of courts are these? They're not real courts, especially because there's no real recourse. There's really no ability for anybody to know that their case is being considered. And if you don't know, then you don't have any ability to appeal a final judgment. It's a real problem. Now, people like to analogize and say, well, there's no opposing counsel in a grand jury either. Well, sure, that's true. But uh, there's a difference there in that in a grand jury, typically you're, you're dealing with uh, criminal accusations that eventually make their way into court. But this one doesn't. This one never makes its way into real court. So we've got a big problem. And, you know, Rosenstein admitted today that the FISA process was abused and manipulated just by the Trump campaign. That but ought you, to be chilling to every American, not yes. just Republicans. It ought to be really concerning to everyone. But it wasn't. I watched the Democrat senators there. They're mocking this. They're saying it's old. They could care less about the violations of due process, the violations of the Constitution, the weaponizing of federal law enforcement against a campaign, as long as it's aimed at Republicans and the president. They, I, Senator, I watched. They had no problem with any of this. Yeah, that part was confusing, and that part was uh, distressing, you know, especially because I know uh, some of these people well, and I know that some of them are, in fact, concerned about FISA abuse. And yet, uh, from the comments we got from many Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats today, uh, you'd, you'd think that we were talking about nothing. It reminded me of this scene in Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail, <laughs> when uh, they start saying, oh, look, let's not bicker and argue about who killed who. This is supposed to be a happy occasion. They, wa- they wanted to talk about covid or about the riots, or something, anything other than this. I, I don't know why, other than the fact that it's inconvenient for them. Well, I understand uh, under Senator Graham there's going to be a lot more witnesses and a lot more hearings. And I think this is very, very important, because really there's little else the Senate can do, particularly when the Democrats control the House, but try to expose some of this before the general election. You agree? Yes, absolutely I agree. Uh, and I, I, I think... The more hearings we can have, the better. Look, one of the things that Rosenstein told us today is that former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe wasn't honest with him about Jim Comey's memos about the FBI's investigation into Trump's campaign. It's one of many, many facts that we've got to get to the bottom of. I'm sure he'll retain his position as a CNN commentator, Senator. Look, thank you very, very much. Be well and God bless, Mike. And we'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. 
More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin was a kid. His teachers didn't like his snide sense of humor. Today, they still don't like it. Call Mark Levin now at 877-381-3811. We have a right to protest. We have a right to protest. Actually, you have a right to peaceably assemble. I have to remind friends and foe alike, read your First Amendment. It says... Peaceably assemble. That's your right. You know, like during the lockdown, when Americans are trying to peaceably protest the lockdown, save their livelihoods, save their businesses, save their families. When the iron-fisted brigades of the blue state governors and the blue city mayors crushed them, arrested them, took their licenses away. seems to me that's discrimination of sorts, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Meanwhile, these people didn't burn down buildings. Did you see that video, Mr. Producer, of this rioter grabbing this puppy dog? Did you see how he was torturing that dog? You know what happened in the end of that dog? They found that dog dead. Strangled. Strangled. He's waving around that dog, holding it by its skin, waving it around. I don't don't recommend you look at it. I had to shut it off. Laughing. The crowd's laughing. The inhumanity. Little puppy, and they killed it. Killed it. You know, you've read about mayhem and anarchy, or you've seen it in the third world, or societies where there's revolution or there's civil war and so forth. Did you ever think the day would come when you see it in the streets, when the Secretary of Defense would all but excuse it? Where the Secretary of Defense would accuse the people who he is supposed to defend of being systemically racist. We have politicians who run for office, who want our votes, who tell us we're systemically racist. Every one of those bastards should be thrown out of office. We have Joe Biden who calls us systemically racist. He hates the American people, but he wants us to make him president of the United States. You don't hear Donald Trump calling us systemically racist. You have Drew Brees, one of the, the most decent people out there in sports, who says, I'm never taking a knee. Tonight... On the internet, he's under brutal attack. 
I'll never take a knee. You can put a gun to my head, I'm never going to take a knee. As a matter of fact, Mr. Producer, I'm going to announce this here to you, and you're not aware of this, I just thought of it. Others will follow. But for now on, I want to start this show with the National Anthem, and I want to end this show with the National Anthem. Except on Fridays when we do God Bless America, okay? And we will pick the most inspiring version with an orchestra and so forth. Let's go to Barack Obama. Barack Obama was an enormously divisive president. He was an adherent in Saul Alinsky. Nobody ever talks about who he associated with or who he met with, and I pointed it out on my social sites. You know, they're attacking the Secretary of State Pompeo for having these dinners, and I, I look at the list and this, this reprobate site, this, uh, this, this clown show over there, they're very upset, and I looked at the list. These are wonderful people he's meeting with. Of course, he doesn't invite me, but that's the only downside. And who did Obama meet with? People affiliated with the Muslim Brotherhood, CARE, Al Sharpton dozens of times, as I pointed out on my social sites. That's okay. I would really like to know what Barack Obama, our first black president, did for the black communities in this country. Because if he made them a priority, it escaped my notice. And you know what? I think it escaped the notice in most of these communities. He's a very cool guy. He's got a lot of charisma. But he's all talk. When it, is, when it came to civil rights, civil liberties, and the black community. Trump has done more in three years in focusing resources and programs and prior to the virus, improving employment historically in the black community than Barack Obama and Joe Biden could do in eight years. That's a fact. An absolute fact. So now Obama's back because the Praetorian Guard media loves him, promotes him, Because he's not Joe Biden, who can't complete a sentence. And because they feel this is how you get the minority vote. Bring back Obama. They use people. This identity politics is so poisonous. Cut 18, go. So, uh, in a lot of ways, what has happened over the last several weeks is uh, challenges and structural problems here in the United States uh, have been thrown into high relief. Uh, They're the outcomes not just of the immediate moments in time, but... Let's just stop a second. This fascinates me. Like he's some professor pontificating about events. He was president for eight years. A majority of non-minorities voted for him to be president of the United States. He won two elections. He had only had two years in the Senate. He had almost no experience. People wanted to believe. People wanted to unite. People wanted to put all this behind them. Is that what happened? Think about the missed opportunities with our first black president. Seriously, I didn't vote for him. 
But if it turned out to be a tremendous statesman and leader, maybe I would have voted for him. I mean, look, it was McCain and Romney, for God's sakes, but okay. But Barack Obama, first and foremost, is an ideologue. That's how he was raised. That's what he believes. That's what he taught. He's an ideologue. And here's the point I keep trying to make. When you're a left-wing, radical ideologue, you cannot put in place policies that are going to improve poor communities and communities of color. You're going to keep doing the same thing, but on a bigger scale. The money's going to keep going through corrupt hands. The bureaucracy is going to get bigger and more corrupt. The politicians are going to get bigger and more corrupt. But the people in these communities are not going to benefit. So when you're a radical leftist ideologue, your options are limited in what you can do with and for these communities. Because individual liberty, economic prosperity, Dare I say capitalism, they're off the table. As an ideological matter, you reject them. Barack Obama has absolutely nothing to offer but words. That's all he does. He talks. Nobody benefits. And he's back. He's talking. And the media swoons all over. The Democrats swoon all over. Barack is back. He's back from Netflix. He's back from his various round-the-world vacations. He's back from his quarter-of-a-million-dollar speech. Barack is back. The man of the people. Just in the nick of time. There's Mattis. There's, there's Obama. Thank God. Let's cut the cut 19, please. Go. I've heard some people say that... Um, you have a pandemic, then you have these protests. Uh, This reminds people of the 60s. You know what? And people keep bringing that up. Reminds them of the 60s. Even my dear friend Brett Baer says, you know, Trump on the Nixon law and order and uh, other dear friends saying reminds them of the 60s. This has nothing to do with the 60s. The 60s truly was an uprising against segregation and Jim Crow. It truly was an uprising out of the churches. The churches. This isn't that. The nation, after all the violence was done, wanted to fix the problems. What's happening here is the nation's being ripped apart. And all we get is flowery language from Biden, from Obama. That's all we get. And if you keep talking about systemic racism, you can't fix systemic racism. According to the New York Times in 1619, it's in our DNA. It's in our founding. That's the way it is. So what are we going to do, ladies and gentlemen? Kill each other? The ideological left is destroying us. They've taken over the body 
of the Democrat Party. They've taken over and devoured our colleges and universities and our media. They are destroying us. They are celebrating the wrong things. They are promoting the most radical elements in our society as guests. And then those who resist this are said to be white supremacists or Uncle Tom's or dividing us or Mattis, President of the United States, first president of my lifetime, is threatening the Constitution. What a buffoon. Go ahead. Uh, the discord and distrust uh, throughout the country. I have to tell you, uh, although I was very young when... All right, I've heard enough. I'll tell you this. The vast majority of the American people, not all the American people and not all communities, let's be honest, but the vast majority of the American people get along with each other. They do. The vast majority of the American people, not all, clearly we see some of that now, but the vast majority of the American people want to get along with each other. But the Democrat Party can only succeed if it creates destruction and mayhem. And the media can only get ratings. And their hosts paid millions. And their executives and these corporations paid millions more. If your eyes are glued to the TV screen. Or if you buy their newspapers. I'm not being cynical. I'm telling you the truth. What's going on to this country in the last five or six months, which has devastated our economy, devastated families, now devastating our cities, is a boon for CNN and MSNBC. Impeachment was a boon for the media. The coup attempt was a boon for the media. Your suffering is a boon for the media. And then they wrapped themselves in self-righteousness. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. By the way, if you're wondering, wondering, General Mattis lives in Palo Alto. He's affiliated with Stanford University. And he makes good money giving speeches to and seminars with the, the rich and beautiful in California. 
And so there you go. They devour a lot of people. And they devoured Mattis, who felt this was the time to speak out, ladies and gentlemen. This was, not when his colleague, General Flynn, was being set up. No, 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 no. This was the time to speak out, you see. Made a damn ass out of himself, quite frankly. I'm doing advanced calculus here, and I, I noticed that Bush was president for eight years, Obama was president for eight years, so by my calculation, that's 16 years. And of course, they were elected, by their own definition, by people who are systemically racists. And George Bush and Barack Obama, so corrosive is systemic racism, whatever that is, I don't even know what that is, but whatever it is, that they really prioritized this. They really went after systemic racism. I mean, what the hell did Bush do? Nothing. What the hell did, uh, did Obama do? He had two African-American attorneys general. He had an African-American head of the Department of Homeland Security. He appointed all the U.S. attorneys. He appointed the head of the U.S. Marshals, the head of the Bureau of Prisons, the head of the FBI. He had dummy next to him, Biden. What did he do? He's all talk, this guy. He's a philosopher. Oh, we love Biden. Oh, thank goodness. Obama's back. You You know, unity. Civility, right. That's what Obama brought. He brought division, and we're still trying to recover from it, and we can't. All right, more on that tomorrow. We salute our armed forces, police officers. Look, police officers, God bless you. I'm truly sorry you're going through this, but the vast majority of the American people are with you. And all other personnel out there who are, who are defending us, I want to thank you. The fire departments, emergency personnel, all of you. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.